All right. Good morning. Uh, God bless you. Glad to be here. Good to continue uh, on the series. But before I do that, I just kind of feel um, I want to share just a little bit about what happened during worship there for some of, for all of us. Just as a reminder, maybe for some of you that are new, you know, it's it's great to come together and sing songs, and it's um, it's wonderful to have a worship team that can uh, bring music and create an atmosphere of of, of excitement or joy or power, but our church particularly, we strive to do worship in a way that enables each and every person in the room to interact with God. And so uh, Mark's word and and Bill's exhortation, you know, the idea of just soak it up uh, may sound unfamiliar. Well, what do you mean by that? And what we mean is that each and every one of us can connect with God, and that may look different or feel different for different ones of you, and if you've never experienced that, that's something you need to explore and uh, learn how to do that. God is in the room. You know, Jesus said, whenever we gather together, whenever there's two or three of us in His name, He's present. So Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, is here in the room. Furthermore, before He left, He said He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us. And so we really believe, you know, God the Spirit is present in us and in this room, and, and Jesus is present in the room. And so when we stop and pause, or some of our worship has times of, of quiet or times for reflection, that's really a time to connect uh, with God and open up your heart. And maybe that just means listening to you. Maybe that means singing out songs, uh, something that's on your heart. Learn how to do that, saints. Uh, that's what participatory worship is. It's not a performance. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, um, some a ministry, some churches are more performance. Uh, where you come in, you can just sit and watch a performance. And, and uh, if that's how they're called to do uh, worship, that's great. But we really strive to create an atmosphere where you can engage and enter in. And so I just kind of wanted, I felt uh, uh, led to, to encourage you in that and to share and just kind of explain that that's, that's what we mean. And it's, it's an important aspect of, of how, how we worship. And I want you to get the most out of worship, so you need to understand that. Well, we're uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and um, taking an extended time this whole summer to go through the passages of Jesus' message and verse by verse and apply it in our day, and we're going to get going here because I'm behind. <laughs> the verses we're talking about today are Matthew 5:38 through 42, and I'm just going to read it from the New King James. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take away your tunic, how many brought their tunic this morning? (laughs) Let them have your cloak too. I don't even have a cloak, let alone a tunic. What am I going to do? All right. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. All right. So that's the next part. Uh, Actually, there's a bit of a change of direction Previously, the, if you, the earlier verses that we've been going through, you can listen to them online. Except, I guess last week didn't get recorded. Sorry about that. Um, but the previous ones kind of focus on things that we were to avoid. 
um, things we were able to put off, murder and anger, adultery, lust, broke, uh, broken marriage vows, um, uh, divorce, and, and oaths. These are things that we were not to do. It kind of changes. We see Jesus are, is talking about uh, things that we were to do, turn the other cheek and do good to those who are evil. And so it's a bit of a uh, change of direction. And these are behaviors that we were to implement. They're active uh, acts rather than things to avoid as evidence that we're disciples. It's, it's a working out of, our, of the lordship of Jesus in our life. And so these are things that should be visible evidence of our relationship with, with Christ. And so we're just going to go through this line by line. So as you have heard it said, <clears throat> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, Jesus is referring to a particular Old Testament law there. And that goes back to Leviticus 24, 19 through 20. And so when you find a... Um, Quote, in the New Testament, this is part of the series that I'm, I'm hoping to teach how to learn from Scripture as well as just teach stuff from Scripture. But if you find an old te- uh, a quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and different, different Bibles um, indicate this different ways, but in, in my particular Bible, Old Testament quotes are in all caps. Uh, usually there's a, there's a, foot, a footnote or something like that. There's different ways, Bible depending on the Bible that you're using, indicates that. But look it up. <clears throat> Find out what it meant in, the, in its original context. And, and that's a good way to bring a deeper understanding to what you're reading. Um, so it says, Jesus is referring to anyone who injures another person must be dealt with, this is from the New Living Translation, according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. All right? Boom. Uh, From the Life Application Bible, it actually tells us that these laws were given to limit vengeance and to help the court administer punishment that was neither too strict nor too lenient. So when we say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, in our day, in our culture, that sounds like really severe. Like the severity of God. All right? Most people are like, an eye for an eye. In actuality, the intention of that law was to limit excessive uh, a, a vengeance. It was to protect uh, even the criminal. And so let's, let's get the, the, the punishment equal to the crime. Uh, and even in by Jesus' time, the, the way that this law was practiced or put into practice was that physical penalties had generally been replaced by financial damages. Right? So in Jesus' day, and actually even in the Old Testament, uh, they had come to the place where you know, um, the, they understood the law to be um, the crime, the punishment need to be, needed to be reciprocal to the crime. And so they would often not actually gouge out somebody's eye, but give an equivalent penalty. And they were often financial uh, penalties. We have records of this in existing documents from those days. Jesus was not contradicting the law. He wasn't annulling the law that maintained order and justice in the, in the community. That's not what he was actually talking about. And we'll uh, kind of unpack that a little bit as we go. <clears throat> Rather, he was addressing the misuse of this law as a way to demand a tit-for-tat application of justice or or to justify personal vendettas right so jesus wasn't coming and saying that law doesn't apply to justice 
That law doesn't apply to the court system anymore. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking to individuals about their personal understanding and their personal life of, of be, getting even and how that had become a verse. Remember, we've, we're going through a list of examples of the pharisaical legalistic culture that had developed that misused Scripture. And so Jesus is um, contradicting kingdom righteousness with the legalistic or licentious uh, lifestyle of his day, and all of them still apply. So he was addressing the misuse of that law as a way to demand uh, equal punishment. Does that make a difference? Do you understand the difference there? All right, hopefully. Uh, a lot of response this morning. Everybody have coffee this morning? <laughs> all right. Uh, he goes on and says, But I tell you to not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. How many have had a problem with this verse? Okay? I got a problem with this verse. This, this study actually helped me. I kind of understand it better. Hopefully I can share it. It's like something has hit me in the face. I'm going to punch him back. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking him down. All right? <laughs> so... <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> so what does he really mean? If anyone wants to sue you to take away your tunic, I don't have any tunics. All right. <laughs> Give him your cloak also. Bless you. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, um, him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. So Jesus, again, is not addressing the legal, political, or societal systems. He's bringing it down to a very personal level. And so it's really a misuse of Scripture to try to pull this out and, and shove it into a, um, the legal realm of, of uh, societal laws because that's, that's not the context that Jesus was talking. It's using the verse out of context. So we have to ask, well, how can we apply it into our lives? See, the reason... I'm bringing this up, is that too often we're willing to argue about what's right and wrong on some grand scale. All right? it's, it's great to argue about political ideologies or political platforms, but overlook how we are practicing justice and mercy in our personal life. And Jesus is saying that's where it counts. That's what Jesus is referring to. And I'm not saying we ignore political issues or, 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 or the legal system and all that, those are important things that we need a Christian voice and a Christian influence. But that's just not what Jesus is talking about. And we're going to see that as we move on. Jesus is challenging us to demonstrate righteousness in ways that affect us personally. So remember this whole section of Scripture and the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's exposition, Jesus' pronouncement about what it means to live kingdom righteousness. The commentator I've been using, uh, by a guy by the name of France, <clears throat> says, uh, says this about this uh, section. It says, a willingness to forego one's personal rights. Again, this is about your personal rights. And to allow oneself to be insulted or imposed upon is not incompatible with a firm stand uh, for matters of principle and for the rights of others. Okay, so what Jesus is talking about is how you personally respond, and that's in, not incompatible with an understanding of, of justice in a legal system or justice in a criminal system. So Jesus is not demanding pacifism, right? which is what many people just automatically think this verse is talking about. 
And pacifism is the, is a, is the idea that all forms of defense uh, or criminal punishment or use of force is wrong. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, you know, someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. He's at, this whole, the whole context of this, what Jesus is talking about, is not talking about pacifism. He's talking about your personal heart response when someone does you wrong. Right? Um, <clears throat> uh, but rather speaking about how we live this out personally. And you can have a talk about pacifism and you can have a talk about uh, uh, limits of, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that I think it, there needs to be uh, uh, Christian influence in this whole uh, realm. But we want to see what Jesus is talking about. So someone actually can be a pacifist and still filled with hate and anger and offense and inner turmoil just because they don't believe in going to war <laughs> or uh, the death penalty. They can still be all twisted inside. And the real solution is getting that, getting the inside healed up. Um, and, you know, we may never have to demonstrate this command, this turning the cheek if someone slaps us in a literal way. But quite frankly, aren't we daily confronted by people who hurt us emotionally? Emotional, emotional, I can't say that word. Emotionally. I want to throw in another syllable. Parra. Okay. Have you ever been hurt by someone emotionally? Huh? Happens a lot, doesn't it? I mean, people don't even mean to do it. You can get, someone says something or doesn't, or you do something, they take it the wrong way. Or verbally, someone says something that hurts. And so we get, we get slapped in the face that way all the time. How do you respond to that? That's what Jesus is talking about. When we are wrong, this is another quote from, one of the resources I'm using from the Life Application Bible. When we are wronged, our, often our first reaction is to get even. Instead, Jesus said we should do good to those who wrong us. Our desire should not be to keep score. <clears throat> Let's think about that for a minute. Not to keep score, but to love and forgive. That's not a natural response. That's a supernatural response. Because a natural person, a natural man, someone does you wrong, your spouse does something that hurts you, you keep score. You're gonna, you're gonna find a way to hurt back. Right then, or you're gonna save it up. Coworker, boss, somebody driving down the road, that's our natural response. <clears throat> Only God can give us the strength to love as He does. Instead of planning vengeance, pray for those who hurt you. Okay, Jesus, follows that command with four examples of how to apply it. And so the first example of how to apply that principle of, of, of not getting even is this slap on your face. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to them also. I'd like someone that we want to demonstrate who would like to get slapped in the face. Okay. I slap hard, dude. I can't believe two of you. Okay. Herman, you two can slap one another later. <laughs> Just take it outside. That's all I'm asking. All right? <laughs> two, people, two big guys put their hand up. You slap me. <laughs> he's actually not. I was, I was, he's actually not talking about an act of violence, but an insult. Okay. And uh, a commentary. This is a great way to look up and find out what the word actually means of the phrase. And it's a blow with the back of the hand. You know, it's not meant. It's like this. All right. It's not meant to. You know, it's not like a punch. 
<coughs> that phrase actually means a blow to the back of the hand, expresses the greatest possible contempt, okay, and was punishable by a very heavy fine. So in Jesus' day, that act, if someone slapped you with the back of their hand, was, was such an expression of contempt and insult that you could, you could take them to court and they would be fined for doing that. All right. It was, it was, a, it was the situation is one of insult rather than physical violence, and it's possibly it could be some people interpret it as seen as an aspect of uh, religious persecution. So this is one reason why Jesus is not talking about uh, pacifism is because the slapping of the face is not an act of violence, but an act of insult. Okay, it's not talking about uh, defending yourself or your family from violence or bullies. Because that act, the, what the words actually meant, and everyone that heard Jesus understood what that meant. If someone insults you and he chose the worst form of insult, uh, which is slapping to the back of the hand. Um, uh, uh, so that's what he's speaking about. And just as, as a side note, I deal with this in parenting. At a certain age, parents often struggle with this. Well, you know, he's being bullied at school. Or how do they respond? And they think, well, Jesus teaches, you know, turn the other cheek. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about how you respond to visit. You know, if someone breaks into your house, you just, you know, give them the key to your other house. <laughs> you know, give them the key to your car. He's not talking about that, but he's talking about how to respond to insults. And so I actually tell people, you know, teach your kids how to fight and when to fight and the appropriate way to defend themselves. Uh, you know, and there's, there's, there's appropriate ways and inappropriate ways. Um, <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about, how do you react when someone insults you? And the natural response to insult is to put your shields up, right? Phasers locked, fire when ready! Somebody insults me, you watch out. You're going to, you know, missiles locked. Targeted and locked. Huh? Yeah, yeah. The supernatural response is I'm not going to strike back. All right? When someone, uh, um, when Jesus said not to resist, it actually can be translated, don't set oneself against. Ah. For me, that helps me understand that. All right? A lot better. So I'm not going to set myself against that person and and i ask you you know is, is that how you respond when someone mistreats you and and i put in real or perceived insults because i've found in, in pastoral ministry the vast majority probably 90 percent of of insults are perceived they were not intended to be an insult but you heard it in a way that was in, was insulting because you filtered it through your your framework and and if you sat down the person and and talked to them they would say well no i didn't mean it that way at all right so but it really doesn't matter how are you going to choose to respond to real or perceived a, a big step is realizing that man they it felt like an insult but i better step back maybe it wasn't maybe they meant it a different way you know that's, that's a big that'll help you because that'll erase most of 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 the times when we encounter this. <clears throat> but even if it's real, how do you respond? And the natural response is to set yourself against it. Someone says something to them, or maybe it's happened a few times, or every time you meet them, they treat you in a way that it feels like they're slapping, they're, they're being offensive. So you could just kind of set yourself against. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. 
Don't set yourself against. And the best way, listen, my best advice for not setting yourself against someone is to actively be for them. All right? And so when you, when you encounter someone in your life that, that that's how you feel every time you're around them, you, Jesus is saying, you need to change your strategy. All right? You need to be offensively blessing them and praying for them. Go on the offensive to bless them, to pray for them. All right? Because the strategy you've been using just doesn't work. Don't react, but actively demonstrate Christ's behavior by turning the other cheek. <clears throat> bless you. And, and uh, turning the other cheek actually means don't turn away. Don't isolate yourself. Don't put them in confinement. This is another thing we do. You know, mentally, socially, you put them in a solitary confinement. You, you avoid them. If you walk into the foyer and they're there, you walk the other way. You, know, you walk, maybe it just happens a lot. You know, there's these issues we deal with our family members more than anything. And so you just kind of avoid your spouse because you, you feel like there's stuff between you. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Overcome that. Turn the other cheek. We should face, turning the other cheek means you, you turn your head, face back to look at them. Alright? They slap you, don't walk away. No, turn back toward them. Face them. Turn yourself. Even if it means risking hurt again. Alright? Again, this doesn't apply to abuse because that's a, you know, physical abuse because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Right? That, that goes back to the whole issue of pacifism. If someone's physically abusing you, you need to protect yourself. There's other laws that talk about that. There's other principles in Scripture. He's talking about um, uh, uh, living out righteously when people offend you or insult you and how you respond. And that is actively loving on them. <clears throat> Jesus was slapped on his, on his face, literally, right? Remember? In the trial... And he didn't call the angels to his defense. He could have, but he chose not to. And he demonstrated this in an extreme way for us. Moving on, trying to get through this. We have four examples. I'm only on number two. <laughs> the second one is judgments. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, how many people have a tunic here? <laughs> huh? I should have looked up the word. That's why I'm, I'm like, shoot, I don't remember, even know what a tunic is. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, that helps. <laughs> Something from Zelda. <laughs> As, i got to ask my, my 11-year-old son. <laughs> he would know what a tunic was. <laughs> Let them have your cloak also. Boom. Okay, so the idea of suing is like, well, you know, if I ever get taken to court, I guess I'll apply this. Ah! Happens way before you end up in court. If you, in fact, if you apply this, you'll never end up in court, hopefully. And Sue, so it can mean go to court, but he's talking about judgments. All right? How do we react when someone makes a judgment against us? When someone determines that we're wrong? All right? They set themselves up as judge against this. Uh, um, <clears throat> they think that you're wrong and that you should pay for it. How do we react in those situations? Again, the natural defense, uh, natural reaction is to prepare your defense. All right? if, you're gonna, if they think you're wrong, you start imagining in your mind and working out a defense of how you're going to convince them, no, not only am I right, but you're twice as wrong. 
all right? And so it's all going to court. He's using that as an image <clears throat> to teach us how we deal with interpersonal relationships and, and how we need to work out kingdom righteousness. And, of course, the best defense is a strong offense, so we come back uh, um, you know, with equal and opposite judgments and, and demands. So when someone makes a judgment against us and they treat us in a way that they think that we're wrong, our natural response is to find ways that they're twice as wrong. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. All right? And in fact, <clears throat> you know, that's not Christ-like behavior. And Jesus is referring to an Old Testament law that if a person, again, if you look up what he's referring to, that if a person was, was actually found uh, liable, that he actually committed a crime, that you could take their tunic or their shirt, I guess I did look it up, <laughs> but not their cloak or their coat. So the tunic was the, was the undergarment, like the regular shirt, but the cloak was their coat. And that law was in place because you, if you took someone's coat, it could actually be life-threatening in, in back in those days. And so if, this, if someone was caught stealing and, and as, a, as a retribution they had to give something back, you could take their, their shirt, um, uh, but you couldn't take their outer garment because that would, again, this would, law was put in place to protect actually the criminal and, and to make sure that there was, uh, a, a, in the justice system, there was mercy. Right? And it wasn't an overuse. It wasn't overstrict. And we don't know that if you don't study some of those Old Testament laws. So this, this idea was uh, there was a limit to what was legally acceptable. Kingdom righteousness <clears throat> uh, allows ourselves to be wrong even beyond what was legal in order to demonstrate righteousness and love. In other words, Jesus is saying, even though the Old Testament law said, you know, uh, uh, people who find you in the wrong can take your, your tunic but not your cloak, Jesus is saying, go above and beyond that. Give them your cloak too. Does that make sense? It's actually saying, <clears throat> uh, uh, allow what is even uh, beyond the legal limits to, to be Im imposed upon you as an act of demonstrating Christ-like character. Yeah. Uh, and isn't that exactly what Jesus demonstrated? He was judged wrongfully. He endured the, the punishment of the cross. He did not deserve that. All right? That was not just. But Jesus demonstrated His willingness to endure injustice for our benefit. He's, he's saying on a, on a daily level, how can we endure injustice? Not only giving someone your tunic, but your cloak too letting them have more than what they're legally due, or more than what's fair, all right, at your expense. Jesus demonstrated that, and that injustice that Jesus experienced enabled our redemption. Some way, perhaps, and this is something just to consider, um, when we suffer real or perceived injustice and trust God for our defense rather than defending ourselves, we also might make a way for evil people to find redemption. In other words, when you suffer injustice and you don't retaliate, you're acting out Christ-like behavior that might make a way for that person who's being not just with you to find salvation or redemption. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> uh, so it's a very powerful thing. That righteousness has power to change people's lives. Third, I, wanna, I really want to get through these. 
expectations. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. So Jesus' word, the use of the word compel, again, this is where it's important to look up in a dictionary or a commentary what the terms mean. <clears throat> it was a specific uh, phrase that referred to the, a Roman soldier's practice of having the legal right to commandeer civilians to do uh, labor when they were in any country a Roman uh, soldier was in, anybody on the street, he could just say, you, come, carry this for the next mile. And you could not refuse. No, it doesn't matter how busy you were or what, how important you were. If he told you to carry a, a bucket of water for a mile, you had to do it. <clears throat> and the Jews fiercely resented that uh, imposition. Okay, it was really a touchy, touchy subject, uh, and as you can imagine. Uh, and Jesus actually chose that deliberately for a couple of reasons. One, it disassociates him from uh, a militant nationalist. Uh, in other words, there were a lot of people in Jesus' day that wanted to fight back against the Romans, and uh, either with uh, clubs or, 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 or you know, uh, resisting uh, the influence of the Romans. And so this was one of the things that they would rally around, that it's wrong, that they can't make you do what you, uh, those kind of things. And, and Jesus actually said, no, if, if the Roman soldier tells you to carry it one mile, carry it two. All right? And uh, Jesus chose this example because he knew that his listeners would be really irritated by that. You know? It's something that, they, that, that was culturally relevant. I'm like, what are you talking about? He wanted it to be personal because righteousness happens at that level. That's where righteousness happens, when it's personal. And it's great to talk about political dialogue, ideology, and, 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 and all that. But righteousness happens when it's you being asked to do something that you don't feel is right to be asked to. And yet you do it and you don't complain and you do it even better. Wow. <clears throat> How do we react when someone forces us to do something we don't think it's our job? How do we react when you feel expectations from others being forced on you? This happens a lot and in, in, children feel that from their parents. No matter how old the child is. <laughs> I talk to my siblings. I hope they don't listen to this recording. I love you, Mom. <laughs> Brothers, you're all great. You know, Jody, I love you. <clears throat> but they always talk about Mom, this, Mom, you know. Even, you know, we're all old. And we still have issues with expectations from, from parents. All right? Uh, siblings, co-bosses expecting stuff that you don't think is part of your job description. Okay? How do you react to that? You know, file a complaint. Uh, that's not fair. <clears throat> that's not my problem. Um, uh, do we begrudgingly do the minimum, complain the whole time, or, or do we do it the best we can? All right. Uh, <clears throat> there was a... Oh, I missed it. Yeah, I'll skip that. <clears throat> okay, third example, expectations. Again, this is following Christ's example. He didn't have to endure the cross. In the garden he chose, not my will, but thine be done. And it cost him personally. There was personal cost, personal cost. It's, he suffered because of it. And when we suffer as a result, and uh, when we represent or represent Jesus Christ by going above and beyond the call of duty on a personal level, and it actually costs us something, 
possibly that can open up a way where um, they might be able to see Christ through that. And I, I remember when I was first saved um, in the factory that I was working at, uh, there was a, a bunch of other Christians. And this one Christian um, was a great brother, and he worked as this foreman. The foreman later got saved. Uh, the foreman said, <clears throat> uh, responded to a, a very effective evangelist, but after he got saved, he said really what led him to, to, to Christ and what made him open to listen to the message of the gospel was the testimony of this worker that was under him. Because he was, he knew this, the, the, the foreman's name was Ramon, and Ramon knew, I can't remember the guy's name, I think it was Fred or something like that, was a Christian, and Ramon was kind of angry at, uh, he felt anger toward him, so he'd always make him do the worst jobs, the hardest jobs and the worst jobs, and, and he never complained, and he always did a good job. And that eventually, over several years, made it way so Ramon was willing to listen to the gospel. Listen, folks, situations like that, are situations where you're called to demonstrate the character of Christ. Amen. And that demonstration is not just for your good. It, it's for the good of the person that's maybe uh, doing it to you or someone else that's watching. Yeah. All right? And that's why it's so important that we learn how to live kingdom righteousness. All right, the fourth example, trying to finish up here. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow uh, from you, don't turn away. <clears throat> this almost seems like something, an evil person. You know, someone asks you for something, that's not really evil. Because it's all uh, under the, the heading of, of things that, that evil people do or not to resist an evil person. The idea here is that the same um, principle that applies to our attitude um, uh, also applies, uh, applies to our stuff. Okay? It extends uh, the same attitude found in the other examples to our property, our belongings. France says... The free and unselfish attitude to rights extends also to property, uh, the belongings that we have. Uh, Luke's version of this teaching you find in the, the Gospel of Luke uh, kind of gives it a broader application. It says, give regularly to everyone who begs from you. So you just have a, a, a living generously uh, mindset. And the principle is that the needs of others come before your convenience. And if there's anything American Christians need to learn, it's this. Now, we are all, the, the poorest person in this room is one of the richest people in the world. Okay? I'm serious. Do the research. Google it. We are filthy rich <clears throat> compared to world standards. And, and there's billions and billions and billions of people on the planet who would, who would give everything to have one day in your life. Um, um, I like the way the, the message puts this. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Again, this idea of tit-for-tat. Are you giving this? I need this much and back. No, live generously. Uh, <clears throat> actually, I think for many, this is more personal than insults and judgments, right? Or unreasonable demands. You know, I can do that. I can forgive people. I can, I can work a little harder. But don't you touch my boat. You know, <laughs> what? You get really uptight about your stuff. And different people, some people don't care about stuff. Other people are really protective about their stuff. Don't touch my computer. You know. You're more concerned about your bank account than how you're representing Jesus with the money that God's entrusted to you. First okay, Timothy 
addresses this. Paul writes to Timothy to, uh, about people that are rich. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Again, all Americans are wealthy compared to the world standards. Nor, so this applies to every one of us. Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good uh, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. So with our riches, we need to uh, demonstrate not a tit-for-tat, not a fairness, but a generous. How can we uh, outdo one another in generosity? Again, this is displayed. This displays Christ's character. He was willing to give up what He had in heaven, all of His glory, surrender uh, that, and come as a man and suffer on the cross uh, uh, that we might live. It demonstrates that selfishness with our stuff reflects Christ's selflessness with our stuff is another way we reflect Christ's character. So we need to be disciples with our stuff, with our belonging, just as much as with our beliefs and our uh, attitudes. Amen? All right. Bill has some announcements. Sorry I took all your time. <laughs>